Turn with me again, if you will, to Genesis chapter 18. <coughs> Genesis chapter 18. <coughs> this morning we'll look at the first 15 verses, 1 to 15. From a distance, God is watching us. God is watching us from a distance. So goes a line in a song popularized by Bette Midler, expressing a common conception of God. God, so the idea goes, is somewhere out there, keeping a benevolent but distant eye on everything that goes on. Is that how you think of your relationship with God? No. Well, certainly Abraham didn't think in such terms. And with those uh, words of introduction, Ian Duguid uh, launches us into a study. So let's look at this uh, passage in uh, Genesis 18, the first 15 verses. Let me read it. The Lord appeared to Abraham near the tr great trees of Mamre, while he was sitting at the entrance to his tent in the heat of the day. Abraham looked up and saw three men standing nearby. When he saw them, he hurried from the entrance of his tent to meet them and bowed low to the ground. He said, if I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, do not pass your servant by. Let a little water be brought, and then you may all wash your feet and rest under this tree. Let me get you something to eat so you can be refreshed and then go on your way now that you have come to your servant. Very well, they answered, do as you say. So Abraham hurried into the tent of Sarah. Quick, he said, get three seas of fine flour and knead it and bake some bread. Then he ran to the herd and selected a choice tender calf and gave it to a servant who hurried to prepare it. Then he brought some curds and milk and the calf that had been prepared and he set these before them. And while they ate, he stood near them under a tree. Where's your wife, Sarah? They asked him. They're in the tent, he said. Then the Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. Now Sarah was listening at the entrance to the tent, which was behind him. Abraham and Sarah were already old and well advanced in years, and Sarah was past the age of childbearing. So Sarah laughed to herself as she thought, After I am worn out and my master is old, will I now have this pleasure? Then the Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh? And say, will I really have a child now that I am old? Is there anything too hard for the Lord? I will return to you at the appointed time next year, and Sarah will have a son. Sarah was afraid, so she lied and said, I did not laugh. But he said, yes, you did laugh. <clears throat> Two truths that I'd like for us to learn from this passage, fairly brief passage, a story that we may be well familiar with, but two truths that I think apply to us. The first is this, that God has come near. God has come near. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 2, uh, there we are cautioned, do not forget to entertain strangers, for by doing so, some people have entertained angels without knowing it. Our text this morning is a classic example of such a case. 
Abraham entertained three strangers only to find out that they were the angels of the Lord. There's no reason to believe that Abraham knew who they were at first. Nonetheless, he showered them with hospitality, which even goes beyond the traditional lavish Eastern customs. With eagerness, he hurries to meet them when he sees them. He hurries to the tent to tell Sarah to bake bread. He runs to the herd to select the finest calf. And he, he tells his servant to hurry to prepare it. With eagerness, he welcomes them. And he honors them. With honor, he bows low to the ground when he meets them. He gives them the very best. Here, eat the, the best of my flock. Here, sit in the heat of the day under this tree. He gives preference to their comfort over his own. And he stands waiting on them like a servant while they eat at his tent like kings. Oh, what a contrast. The reception that these angels of the Lord, these three men received from Abraham, compared to the reception they received in Sodom in the next chapter where they would, be, uh, would attempt to use and abuse them. Abram has learned the gift of godly hospitality. Oh, but the really significant thing about this story is not about Abraham's hospitality. It's about God's condescension. For here Abraham learned that God himself had come near. There's no question, one of the three strangers is the Lord himself, accompanied by two angelic beings, all three appearing as men. The text says so clearly in verse 1, it says the Lord, Yahweh, Jehovah, appeared to Abraham. And in verse 3, Abraham calls the one stranger Adonai, a form of the word Lord, which can only refer to the deity. And in verse 9 and 10, the stranger already knows Sarah's name and Sarah's condition and Sarah's situation, predicting that she will have a child by this time next year. And again in verse 10, the Lord said, we read. And again in verse 13, the Lord said, and this time he reads Sarah's mind, proving himself omniscient. Oh, make no mistake, here the Lord came near to Abraham. Three times in the scripture, Abraham is called the friend of God. In 2 Chronicles 20, we read, Oh, our God, did you not drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? And in Isaiah 41, Oh, Israel, my servant Jacob, whom I have chosen, you descendants of Abraham, my friend. And in James chapter 2, verse 23, the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness, and he was called God's friend. And here we see that friendship. Where do we see that friendship? Like we see it here. As Alan Ross comments, the visitation to eat in Abraham's tent was meant to convey the most intimate fellowship and the closest relationship. God came near to Abraham. Oh, but it's not only to Abraham that God came near <clears throat> in the fellowship, in, for, for in the fellowship of a common meal, God came near to his people throughout the Old Testament. Repeatedly, we see meals as part of the covenant relationship with the living God. 
when the covenant at Mount Sinai was ratified, we read that the people sat down and ate and drank in peace before the Lord. And in the Levitical code, the peace offering was a holy meal that was eaten together in the presence of the Lord, signifying peace in the relationship to the Lord. And of course, the Passover meal was the annual reminder of how God had come near and visited them with salvation, and they ate the Passover meal to remember that day. Oh, but folks, what the Old Testament saints experienced, even Abraham, the friend of God, was only a taste of the way that God would come near in Jesus. The Apostle John writes that the Word became flesh and pitched his tent among us and we beheld his glory. God came near. In Philippians 2 we read, Christ Jesus, being in very nature God, made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. God came near in Jesus. John begins his first epistle with this announcement. The life appeared, and we have seen it, and we testify to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. In other words, God has come near. When God came near in the person of Jesus, he did just what we read here. He sat down to eat with undeserving sinners. To Zacchaeus, Jesus said, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must go stay in your house today. All the people saw this and began to mutter, He's gone to be the guest of a sinner. And Jesus said, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. People couldn't fathom that God could come near to sinners and eat at their table. But God has come near Jesus said that that friendship with sinners was only a foretaste of the great marriage feast of the Lamb. When the Gentile centurion believed on him, Jesus spoke of that day to come. He says, I, I say to you that many will come from the east and from the west and will take their places at the feast with Abraham in the kingdom of heaven. Well, dear folks, we cannot overstate the significance of what has taken place. It was foreshadowed in God's friendship with Abraham as he sat down to dinner at Abraham's tent. But it has come to a reality in the incarnation of Jesus. For here God has come near. Here God has really come near to redeem us. As the great 5th century Advent hymn says so well, let all mortal flesh keep silence and with fear and trembling stand. Ponder nothing earthly-minded, for with blessing in his hand, Christ our God to earth descendeth our full homage to demand. King of kings, yet born of Mary, as of old on earth he stood, Lord of lords in human vesture, in the body and the blood, he will give to all the faithful his own self for heavenly food. God has come near in Jesus. This morning I tell you, if your heart is aching with emptiness, hungry for fellowship, for friendship with the living God, I have good news. 
God has come to walk in your shoes in order to bring you to himself. As that song suggested, he demands your full homage. He demands that you forsake all other allegiances and follow him. But he didn't come to make us servile prisoners. He came to set us free and to make us his friends, like Abraham. This morning I call you to Jesus. I call you to abandon whatever you're living, whatever you're filling your life with, for he wants to fill your life with himself. I call you to abandon sin that you've learned to love. He's come to make you love him. I call you to abandon your hope in yourself, for you will never attain some standing. You will never climb to the heights to know his presence. No, he has come near to give you the right to stand in his presence by the death and resurrection of Jesus. God has come near in Jesus. So welcome him and receive him as Abraham did. Oh, but he didn't just come to have a ministry of presence, to sit and console us and socialize. He came with wonderful promises, which brings us to the second point of this, of this text. Don't stagger at God's promises. Don't stagger at God's promises. You know, there are all kinds of laughter. We're talking about laughter here. There's the innocent, lighthearted laughter, the delight of a child, the amusement of something funny. We laugh all the time. It's contagious. There's a laughter of uncontrollable joy. We saw Abraham laughing back in chapter 17 when he heard and believed God's too-good-to-be-true promise. And realized God was going to do what he could not fathom. And with joy, he was overwhelmed. And then there's a scornful laughter of derision. and Hateful mockery. The laughter that delights in evil. But in our text, Sarah's laughter is different than any of those. Sarah's is the laughter of unbelief. Laughter that staggered at the promises of God. Now don't think that Sarah didn't believe in God. She would certainly have confessed the same truths you confess. God is the creator of heaven and the earth. I'm sure Sarah didn't doubt that for a moment. God is all-powerful, controlling all the forces of nature. Amen, she would have said. God is sovereign. He does whatsoever he pleases. Yes, she knew that. God is holy. He's separate from all evil. He's absolute purity. I'm sure Sarah would agree. We can be confident that Sarah believed all of these wonderful truths about God. But the Lord came making a different kind of promise than any of those great truths. Look again at verse 9. Where's your wife Sarah? The strangers ask Abram. There in the tent, he said. Then the Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. Now Sarah was listening at the entrance of the tent, which was behind him. Abraham and Sarah were already old and well advanced in years, and Sarah was past the age of childbearing, so Sarah laughed to herself as she thought, After I am worn out and my master is old, will I now have this pleasure? You see, the unbelievable thing for Sarah was not that God could do the impossible, but that he might do the impossible in her. Will I now have this pleasure? 
with my dear old Lord Abraham. <laughs> my body is dead. It's too late. I'm too old. It's not possible. It couldn't happen. And so Sarah laughed. And that was the attitude that the Lord rebuked. Verse 13, the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh? And say, will I really have a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? I will return to you at the appointed time next year, and Sarah will have a son. Sarah was afraid, so she lied and said, I didn't laugh. He said, yes, you did laugh. <laughs> Sarah had failed to take into account that nothing is too hard, that nothing is too wonderful, literally, for the Lord. And therefore, Sarah staggered in unbelief. Staggered in unbelief. Now the truth is, folks, all God's works are wonderful. All God's works are awesome and beyond comprehension. Who can comprehend God's creation? You can't, nor I. God's covenant of grace is beyond our wildest dreams. Who can comprehend that? God's promise of a Messiah, now fulfilled in the coming of Jesus, more than we can understand. His death and resurrection by which he atoned for sin and purchased us, purchased sons and daughters from every tribe and nation. Who can explain that kind of love? that kind of wisdom, that kind of mercy. But you see, we can easily agree that all these works of God are wondrous, but true. But like Sarah, we can, at the very same time, stagger with unbelief at God's promises concerning us. Oh, we believe that Christ died for sinners to forgive and declare righteous those who trust him. But we stagger in unbelief in the face of our own sin. Surely he still remembers and counts it against me. We believe God saves his people and sets them free from the power of sin and makes them holy, sanctified through and through. We read it in the scripture and we say, yes, I believe. But we stagger in unbelief at his promise that we might be able to change. That we might lay aside the invisible chains that have bound us for years. And we believe that God takes people who are nothing and fills them with his spirit and equips them for service and raises them to use them in greatness throughout the world. We see examples throughout the scripture. We know examples throughout history. We believe God calls people like that. But we stagger in unbelief at the thought that he might be calling us. Who am I? I have no talent. I can't speak. How many times we who outwardly believe laugh inside ourselves, just like Sarah, 
we stagger at the magnitude of God's promises when they're applied to us. Oh, but the Lord is bigger than our weak faith. Sarah laughed in unbelief, and the Lord rebuked her for her laughter. Rebuked her for her unbelief. But he still said, I'll be back next year, and you will have a son. (laughs) For God is even able to give us the faith to trust him. Apparently, that's what he did for Sarah. I say apparently because there's a question about the reading of the one crucial text that tells us about Sarah's faith in Hebrews chapter 11. There's a textual question that we don't know for sure if it's speaking of Abraham or of Sarah. But if the authorized version, the the, the King James version that you may know, if it's right, it tells us the rest of Sarah's story. Let me read it as it appears in, in that version. By faith, Sarah herself also received strength to conceive seed, and she bore a child when she was past the age, because she judged him faithful who had promised. God gave her the faith. God did what he said. Folks, I don't know where your faith might falter this morning. I know that God's promises are beyond all our comprehension. But I also know that God has called us to trust Him. Not just for what we can understand and explain, but to trust Him for everything He says in His Word. We are the people of God. We are the people of faith. That's what we do. We believe what God said and rest on it, and act on it, because we trust Him. Does it look impossible? Sure it looks impossible. Does it seem like it might make us look foolish to trust God? Sure it will often make us look foolish. Will we be in over our heads if we dare to act on what God says? We will always be in over our heads. But we will not stagger at the promises of God. We must not stagger at the promises of God, specifically when they're applied to us. In Hebrews chapter 10, we have this wonderful challenge set before us right along these lines. There we read, so do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere. So that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. For in just a little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. But my righteous ones will live by faith. And if he shrinks back, I will not be pleased with him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed. We are of those who believe and are saved. This is the character of the people of God. We do not stagger at the promises of God. From a distance, God is watching you. 
doesn't even begin to describe the situation. God has come near. Now in the end of the ages, he has appeared in the person of Jesus. The Spirit explains it to us clearly in Romans chapter 10. Do not say in your heart, who will ascend up into heaven that is to bring Christ down? Or who will ascend down into the deep that is to bring Christ up from the dead? Well, what does it say? The word is near you. It's in your mouth. It's in your heart. That is the word of faith that we are proclaiming that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And when God saves us, he doesn't just deliver us from hell. He makes us his friends. Like Abraham. He sits at the table with us. He walks with us. He fills us with his word and spirit. So don't stagger at his promises. You see, there's no longer any business as usual kind of Christianity. God's work and God's calling are radical. And they're intensely personal. His claim on us is absolute. It involves all of our lives. It involves everything. But that's okay. It disrupts everything, but that's okay. It seems impossible, but that's okay. We can trust him. For is anything too hard for the Lord? No. No. Amen. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, I pray that you would cause us to understand that beyond what anyone could comprehend, you have come near to us in intimate fellowship, calling us to yourself, doing everything necessary to redeem us for yourself. Oh Lord, may we enjoy the sweetness of being the children of God, friends of God. Oh, but Lord, You've come bringing promises. Promises that strike right at home, right down to the depths of who we are and what we do and where we live and how our, what our lives are about and what we do with our children. And, oh Lord, it's overwhelming to suddenly be a friend of God. to suddenly be a co-worker with the living God. It was staggering for Sarah. It's staggering for us. Oh Lord, deliver us from keeping you at arm's length. Deliver us, Lord, from staggering, from laughing in unbelief at the prospect that you might really do in us the things that you spell out in your word. Give us, Lord, an eager anticipation that you will, in fact, do those things. For you're faithful, the same yesterday, today, and forever. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.